Welcome, everybody. This is the very first episode of the Burke Reviews Movie Club. Um, I'm John Burke, and with me is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And uh, this is going to be a new podcast that we plan to do weekly. Um, sometimes it'll just be me and Corey, and other times we might have another guest. Uh, it's it's a whole new thing. Um, it's kind of like a book club. That's the approach that we're going, right, Corey? Yes. The idea is uh, we'll pick a movie, and at the end of this episode, we'll tell you what we're going to do for next the next episode. Um, we'll post it on our Twitters, and we'll we'll post it on the website um, that this is the movie we're doing for the following episode. And um, the goal is that you watch it before you listen to the episode. In fact, we would love to hear from you um, before we record the episode so we could even read some of your tweets or um, emails that you send us of things you like, things you hated. Um this week's episode, we watched Gone Girl, uh, which we're going to be getting to in a little bit. Um, w- basically, the main rule for this podcast is generally we either want a movie that one of us has never seen or a movie that neither of us are maybe as familiar with as some other movies. Like, I've seen Fight Club, I don't know how many times. Um, easily a 100. Million. Yeah, it's one of the few movies that I've owned on every format. I had it on VHS, I had it on DVD, and I have it on Blu-ray. Um, and I own it digital as well. And uh, I saw it opening weekend, I believe, in the theater um, just because I went to the movies every weekend when I was in high school. And that was the only movie that came out that weekend. And I loved it. So we won't be reviewing that one on here unless, Corey, you've seen Fight Club, right? I have. Okay. Um, no, no strikes will be assigned then uh, since Mike is not here. Um, Yay. But uh, – the idea is that we want to ex- to expand our horizon. We both have a huge list of movies that we want to watch. Some that are from you know the classics that we've just missed for some reason. Like I've still have never seen Gone with the Wind, because um, <sighs> I own it. It's sitting on my shelf. I'm looking right at it. Um, just haven't made it uh, to to it. It's one of those longer films. Seven Samurai is the same way. It's a four hour movie. I really want to watch it, but it's four hours, and I don't always have four hours of time. And I am a person. I like to watch a movie all in one sitting. How about you? Um, generally, but sometimes I need to take a break, as is the case with Gone Girl, so. <laughs> oh, wow, really? Um, or sometimes I don't have the amount of time to sit and watch a full movie. Like, mm-hmm. I'll start watching before I am heading to bed, so I'll only have, like, maybe an hour. And some movies are, there are a lot of movies that are, like, two hours long now, so mm-hmm. yeah. I don't. And I, I don't like to start and stop because, um. One, I do feel like it affects the uh, the tone that the the director is trying to set for you, um, because you he you go through thirty minutes, forty minutes of a movie, they're building atmosphere, they're building tone, they're trying to get you in the right mindset. So when it keeps going, you're at in the right state of mind for the reactions that they're going for. And if I leave the movie, I don't always remember where I was emotionally when I stopped, and so. It, it it's hard to come in and out of a film for me like that. Um, some movies are easier, like you know, comedies or something where it's it's maybe more straightforward. You you can come in at any moment and you're just gonna kind of pick up on what's happening. But for like like a movie like Gone Girl, I couldn't imagine walking away from it because the the mood the movie put me in pretty much from the opening sequence. Um, I would hate to be taken out of that getting into it. But um, I digress. The point is, um, we have a lot of movies that we want to watch. And we're hoping that this podcast will help us do that. Um, and maybe same with you, uh, the listeners. You might hear a movie that, well, I've, I've thought about watching that, but I, I hate watching a movie and having no one to talk about it with. You know, like if you miss the opening of a film, um, Jim, Jim Gaffigan had a great joke about uh, Heat. He's like, I just watched Heat. And they're like, Heat? That came out six years ago. 
And um, he's like, but I want to talk about it now. And I feel that way all the time. Last year when I was watching a movie a day, I felt like that so often. I'd be like, ooh, I just watched this. And people are like, oh, yeah, I saw that a long time ago. And I would start talking in detail. And they're like, yeah, I don't remember the movie. I saw it like five years ago. I'm like, but but please, <laughs> but please like, I, I need to get these things off my head. So this podcast – we can talk about it. I can't <laughs> promise that I'll, you know, remember all the details, but that's a really good point that you bring up because, but yeah. I feel like everybody has films like that, that they've been meaning to see and it's exactly. been a long time. So yeah. And we hope that the, this podcast will be an outlet for that. Um, or maybe it's a movie you've never heard of and you just join It's like a book club. And that's the idea, a virtual book club. Uh, you don't have to look at us. Um, you can just listen and you, if you hate what we're saying, you can stop and come back another week. Um, it's the beauty of podcasts, guys. That's what we do. Um, the movies that we choose, uh, we generally are going to pick good movies. However, as I mentioned, we might sometimes have another guest. Uh, there might be a friend of ours or another movie lover who really wants us to watch a specific film. And we'll let them come on the episode if they want to. And we will watch that movie that week. And then it's out of our control. We don't get to pick the film. Uh, Corey picked this film this week because she found out that I haven't seen it. Um and uh, it's one we've mentioned before, we talked about, because there was a movie that came out last year, The Girl on the Train, that was getting a lot of comparison to Gone Girl, um, predominantly negatively compared, as though it wanted to be Gone Girl and didn't succeed. Um, however, Critics. some people did love uh, Gone, uh, The Girl on the Train as well, which I plan to watch because it's coming out on DVD this month. Um, the other thing uh, we're going to do with this show is, at the opening of episodes, once we get it kind of on in a normal flow, uh, we'll talk about what's coming out this week in theaters. Um, this episode, we're actually going to talk about what's coming out this month, as we don't know for sure when we're going to release this just yet. Um, it's pretty early in January right now. We might release it immediately, but we might also hold off um, until we get everything set up. You know, we got to get the the various bells and whistles for the podcast. So um, there's a bunch of movies uh, that came out this weekend, even um, one of which we're going to talk about momentarily, just briefly, um, but. Like next weekend, uh, we have um, Silence Goes Wide uh, with the new Martin Scorsese film um, starring Andrew Garfield and uh, Adam Driver, Liam Neeson, and um, some other actors whose names I do not know. But um, it's it's getting uh, lots of praise, but also I've heard some negative reviews. It has some uh, definite some controversial subject matter as it deals with, um, Catholic, uh, I believe, Catholic priests traveling to Japan to attempt to convert people to Christianity and then the uh, the violence they encounter as a result. Um, and it's something to do with uh, wanting to be martyrs, um, from what I've heard from different uh, sources. Um, it looks awesome. Corey, have you, have you seen a trailer for Silence? I have not. Mm. I'm looking it up right now, and I haven't. But it sounds like pretty interesting subject matter. Yep, I, I'm definitely going to check it out. I was surprised our... Our local mall is actually getting it next weekend, um, according to uh, wow. Fandango. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I'm surprised because I think it's going to be a little controversial. But um, also next week is Live by Night with uh, ben, the new Ben Affleck directed and li starring film, um, which is getting, from what I've heard, mixed reviews. Um, but one I'm definitely interested in. And then I think, I feel like there's one more coming out next week, but I don't recall um nope don't remember off the top of my head but um there are a lot of other movies coming out this month and i'm looking forward to a whole bunch uh that came out this weekend that i really want to go see is uh a monster calls or when a monster calls i think it's oh. a monster calls 
um, yes. A mutual friend of ours was just telling me that that's quite the film. Yes, um, that mutual friend texted me as well uh, because um, he warned me that I will uh, need to bring a box of tissues, um, which I don't know if you've seen that trailer, but I basically tear up in the trailer. So um, I was yes. anticipating uh, <laughs> that. Um, I'm, I'm going I... to see... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that I also mentioned to him that that's going to be one of the movies that I go see, you know, during a midweek matinee. So when I ugly cry, it's just okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm okay with, you know, it's fine. Um, It's the subject matter is uh, pretty straightforward going to make you cry. It's a, a boy dealing with his mother who's dying from cancer. So right away, it looks sad. Um. Um, tomorrow I'm going to see Loving, which our local, uh, I wouldn't call it an art house theater necessarily, but they do get independent movies from time to time. And this is one that I've been really wanting to see. I'm a huge Jeff Nichols fan. Um, I've seen, I think every film except his very first, um, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, I saw Midnight Special last year in the theater and I'm excited to get to see Loving. I am so bad with his name, but Midnight Special was so good. Yeah, I mean, and, the, the guy works exclusively with one of your favorites, Michael Shannon, um, as he is in, I believe, every single one of his films, uh, even Mud, where he has a very small role, but nonetheless, um, he's there uh, being Michael Shannon. Um, and Loving, he's no, it's no different. Loving has uh, st- stars Joel Edgerton, and I'm going to forget the actress's name again, um, but Michael Shannon, I believe, plays their attorney, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, I think you're right. I am excited to go see it, and I was even more excited. My daughter wants to see it, so uh, we're, my wife's working all night tomorrow, so she and I, my daughter and I are going to go out, um, probably play some Pokemon Go, hit up the movie, and then get something to eat, which is also fun because my daughter has more eclectic tastes than my wife, so we'll probably end up at either a Vietnamese place or a sushi place or something Jealous. for dinner. So. Um, <laughs> But all right, and another movie that came out this weekend locally for me, um, at, at our local little, th- well, it's not a small theater; it's a ten, uh, twelve movie theater. But it generally doesn't get a lot of independent movies. It it does the big blockbusters, and every once in a while it'll grab a movie. It's had Manchester by the Sea for almost a month, um, so wow. apparently it's doing really well at our theater, which is great. Um, I was so shocked. I I went, um, a little bit out of my way to see Manchester. I, I drove about forty minutes to see Manchester. Um, when it first went wide and our theater ended up getting it like two or three weeks later. Um, and then, uh, two last week I drove an hour to go see La La Land and now it opened at our little mall, uh, theater. And I'm, I'm surprised I was going to go see it again tonight. Some of my, uh, students were going tonight and they asked me to go, but I ended up spending the night with my family. We went to Target and whatnot. So I didn't make it to see La La Land for my second time, which I really wanted to because I, Love that movie. And if you listen to our other podcast, Top 5 Movies, you heard me say how much I loved it as it was my number one movie of 2016. Um, but Corey saw it since we recorded that episode, and I'd love to hear her thoughts on La La Land. All right. Um, I have a hard time with musicals because it is very hard for me to get engrossed in the story. And it seemed like I was already put off with the opening sequence. So... I knew that wasn't going to fare well, but every time that I would get into the storyline, they would start singing. So I would say it's a decent watch. Um, I know, I know. 
Um, Ryan Gosling was gold. Um, Big time. Emma Stone, she definitely had some really good parts. And then sometimes it was just, I don't even know how to describe it. But, I mean, it was a good storyline. It was just execution. Well, I, I don't think they executed anything wrong. I do think it might have been out of your uh, your taste, which yes. I have to say I am not a musical lover, but I'm also not a musical hater. Um, I kind of take them in um, case by case. You know, there are some that are critically acclaimed, like Les Mis, that I cannot stand. Um, I cannot get past Russell Crowe. I can't get past Hugh Jackman and especially Amanda Seyfried's vibrato of a voice um, throughout the film as she just... Ah, it's like she's trying to chant i don't know i i could not stand her i didn't i like you know um Anne hathaway was fine and i i, I got chastised for saying fine earlier so let me repeat uh Anne hathaway was fantastic i suppose um eddie redmayne was fine but the only who chastised you one of my students who's a big fan of him <laughs> is um but they they like passengers so they have no taste it's fine um Ooh. yeah because passengers i'm so glad i didn't waste my money oh man thanks um, you and mutual friend yes uh, but, um, I, you know, I didn't like Les Mis. Uh, a lot of people didn't like the Into the Woods film, which I admit I like mainly for nostalgia because I, I used to have a VHS recording of a Broadway musical of Into the Woods that I loved when I was a kid. It, like, it, it was kind of the first taste of what would become the Marvel Cinematic Universe for me because it was all the fairy tales that I knew kind of merged into one big fairy tale. And I loved how they intertwined everything as a kid. And so when the movie came out, I still loved it. Um, even if there were parts that annoy me and there's parts that it definitely drags, it should end a whole act before it does. Um, and there are parts that I don't necessarily like, but I love the, the storytelling of intertwining these famous stories. So there's other musicals that I like. I, I cannot stand my wife's favorite musical, Grease. Um, and no, actually, let me clarify. Her favorite is Grease 2. I don't know why. Um, but I don't like either of the Grease films. Um, they both drive me nuts. Um, I also hate Grease. And every time <laughs> that I say that, especially to a woman, I feel like I'm going to get cut because that's just not the right thing. But I totally agree. Which I would think, I don't know if women aren't looking at that movie correctly, but uh, it's very sexist. Like, Sandy has to change who she is to have Danny, and Danny just gets to still be an asshole. Like, you know, I, Grease is not a movie anyone should be like, ooh, yeah, look at Grease. It's like, no, it's about, like, everything wrong with that time period. But, okay. Um, also, more particularly, I don't care for the music and whatever, but... La La Land, I love the music. I've actually listened to the soundtrack three times since the film. Um, and I more in particular was impressed. I didn't know Gosling could sing or dance. Um, although my wife reminded me that he was on the Mickey Mouse Club, apparently, when he was a kid. Um, and Emma Stone, I didn't know could sing. Um, and I thought this is definitely her best performance um, out of her normal character. Like, there was a little bit of Emma Stone, like her normal type cast that she gets in this character but there was a lot of like true like pure emotion and, and it's so subtle um when she's crying when she's upset um I, I i do i tend to judge actresses by their ability to convey sadness and it be believable um because so, so many of them overdo it like i'm going to hate on the the passengers film one more time jennifer lawrence is one of the worst sad actresses when she's supposed to be sad 
she does not seem sad. She seems like she's pretending to be sad, but comes off more angry and hostile. Um, and predating her would be Claire Danes um, with her goofy <sighs> laugh of a cry in two movies. Um, further proving my point that she's an overrated uh, overall actress. Now, that's not to say you can't do other things. Like, you don't have to do every aspect of acting perfectly. But I definitely will drop you down a few tiers if you can't do one of the most common... Ha, ha, ha. Uh, tiers. <laughs> pun not intended, <laughs> but hey, let's go with it. Um, but I love La La Land. Um, it is def- it's getting mixed reviews all over the place from critics. Some critics love it, some critics don't. And I do think the dividing line is, do you appreciate the music in the film? Um, my favorite scene in that movie is uh, when he's walking her home after they meet up at the party on accident when he was playing in the uh, the 80s like cover band um, and they break <laughs> out in the song and dance and that it's a beautiful backdrop. Uh, I love the choreography of the dancing and I, I like the song too because it starts off where he's like, I just want to let you know this isn't going to happen. And then she confirms, like, yeah, I agree. I have nothing, no interest in you whatsoever, which is clearly both of them trying to be, you know, cold towards each other but it slowly turns warm as they uh they break into a more song and dance i absolutely love it and my daughter who is also not a big fan of musicals uh loved la la land as well and um we were at uh what did we see oh hidden figures last night and fathom events who i i have become a huge fan of fathom because they let me go see old movies on the big screen um they're doing singing in the rain next weekend and she was super excited to go see that so i'm hoping Next Sunday, I'll be taking her to see Singing in the Rain on the big screen. Nice. I was going to say that that was a really good part where he's playing in the 80s band. Oh, so funny. And he looks so flock of seagulls. Yeah, he um, And also, I was really surprised. I feel the need to say this, that so often when I'm like watching or hearing musicals, so often I feel like the people singing have awful voices, mm-hmm. but... I was really surprised also at both of them singing. I was impressed. Yeah. Now they, they kept, they wrote the songs, I think well for them. Like they didn't try to push mm-hmm. their vocals. They like were, uh, yeah, very toned down kind of whisper sing type songs, you know, um, more conversational. Sure. And I, I, but that's smart. Like you use what you have. You don't, you know, try to act like you have an opera singer, like what Hugh Jackman did in Les Mis. Um, more more Russell Crowe. Like, Hugh Jackman's wasn't as bad to me as Russell Crowe singing. Russell Crowe singing, I thought, was awful. Um, not that Hugh Jackman's was much better, but I, I could tolerate his. I had a hard time when Russell Crowe was singing. I also don't like, uh, just to clarify too, Les Mis was more operatic, as there's a lot of sing talking, like where they are in the middle of a sentence and they'll sing a single word and then continue talking, and that drove me mad. Um uh, La La Land is more conventional. They will break into song. Um, they're not organic songs. It's not like they're like he is a musician, but they the, the songs do just randomly happen, um, and the music comes from nowhere, and you don't know if they can hear it or not. But they seem to be on time. So um, that type of musical, and then you have the the other type like Sing Street. Some people consider to be a musical because the story does progress through the music, but it's never an unorganic song. Every time he's singing, he's playing instruments, and they're playing in a band. So it's not the conventional, normal setup for a musical, but yeah. So La La Land, I loved it. Corey thinks it's okay. Um, you be the judge, of course. Get to your local theater, support independent film. Um, it is uh, great that this movie's going wide. Um, you know, the the director, Damien Chazelle, I believe. I hope I'm saying all that right. 
Um, he directed Whiplash from two years ago with uh, Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons, um, which was a really awesome movie, uh, full Great. of lots of cursing and <laughs> um, some of the coolest drum moments I've ever seen. But uh, did lose to uh, Birdman and the in- uh, the unexpected virtue of ignorance um, for the the Academy Award and or Golden Globes. I can't remember. I don't think Birdman won. Yeah, Birdman did win Best Picture. Michael Keaton didn't win Best Actor. Um, but I digress. We are going to move in to our movie of the week, which is 2014's Gone Girl. All right. So Corey picked this movie. Why'd you pick this movie, Corey? I picked it because I just really feel the need to talk to you about it because I've wanted to talk to you about it since I saw it in theaters three years ago. And I didn't see it in theaters. I don't know why. Um, at that point, I don't think I was seeing very many movies that weren't in my uh, wheelhouse, so to speak. It was mainly action or comedy or superhero, which is currently the big trend in Hollywood. Um, but... Um, I wanted to watch it last year. I did buy it um, on Blu-ray somewhere for a good price. I think I got it on Black Friday or something. Um, and it's a pretty cool copy as it comes with a uh, a book um, of Amazing Amy. Um, it comes with a actual full uh, like kids book, but not a kids book of Amazing Amy. So like the book that uh, the character in the film, her her fictional life, I guess you could say that her parents wrote about her, comes with one of those, and it's it's kind of interesting. Um, I was I was surprised that it what it was because when I opened the, the the Blu-ray I was like what's this, having not seen the movie, watched the movie was like oh well this is a cool collector item so, um, and I did see at Target they have the the same Blu-ray I have for ten bucks right now so if you're really interested in the collector's edition, I'd say snag it but, um, just to make sure everyone's on the same page, Gone Girl is from 2014, uh, directed by David Fincher, starring Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, Neil Patrick Harris, Tyler Perry. Carrie Coon, Kim Dickens, Patrick Fugit, and several other people. Which did you realize that Patrick Fugit was in this or Fugit? Do you know who that is? Um, no. Um, I, I feel like you're a fan of. Um, oh, I, I was trying to place him, and he played in Almost Famous. That's right? right. Yep. Yep. He was. He the was main, the kid. Yeah. Uh, he plays the uh, the secondary police officer to um, the I believe Rhonda is the detective's name. Um. And uh, right. he is her. I, I I don't. I didn't get the vibe they were partners. They didn't seem like they were that familiar with each other. But for some reason, they were working the case together. Um. But yeah, I was I was looking at his IMDb. I'm like, that dude. Look, oh my god, that's him as a grown up. Like, <laughs> um, Oops. did not recognize him initially. But um, we'll start um this episode uh because this is a movie that's a few years old. We're gonna operate under the assumption that if you really wanted to see it, you've seen it. And so we're going to give you the spoiler warning right now. Um, Corey and I will openly discuss this film from beginning to end. Now, honestly, I feel like the first 20 minutes there are spoilers. So that's why I also want to do this movie with spoilers from the get-go. Because I I feel like there's so much mystery in this movie that anything we say could be a spoiler. Do you agree? Yes. And... Totally agree. Yeah, because um, even writing my review, I found it because I usually when I write my reviews, I don't often uh, include spoilers unless I just can't avoid them. Um, and it was very hard to uh, skate around what isn't a spoiler because 
I thought I, I this movie had been spoiled for me, and I found out really quick that no, I had no idea exactly what happened. Like what had been spoiled was a small detail of the film. So, um, just uh, before I say anything else, make sure we're clear here. If you have not seen Gone Girl and you don't want it to be spoiled, you should stop listening right now. Go to your nearest store, rent and/or buy Gone Girl, watch it, and then continue listening to the podcast. Yes, you've been warned. All right. <laughs> So I knew that Amy, played by Rosamund Pike, wasn't dead, and that she perpetrated the uh, her kidnapping and/or murder. Um, that it was it was all done by her. I didn't know why, nor did I know how it would play out in the film. And there were so many other twists that what I thought was a spoiler really wasn't, because I think you find that out. 40 minutes, 45 minutes into the movie that she's not dead and that she is the one who uh, has perpetrated everything. It might be it might be an hour because it's a two and a half hour movie. So I'm not exactly sure when, but it's it's the it's by the halfway point that, you know, she isn't dead, that she has not been kidnapped and that Ben Affleck's character, Nick, um, Nick Dunn is innocent of at least of the crime he's being accused of. Um, he is not innocent of being a jerk because he's definitely a jerk, right? I would definitely agree with that. Um, I knew what was going to happen in this movie when I watched the first trailer. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you and I watched the trailer together the first time that I saw it. And I thought I had said something to you. And then every time that I talk about this film I have to stop myself because I kept forgetting you hadn't seen it but (laughs) it was just too obvious in the trailer that she did all this who writes a diary and leaves it where it can be found and also I wonder who writes those kinds of things in a diary because most people wouldn't I would think wouldn't want like physical proof of what their spouse has done you know what I mean? Like, oh, he's cheating on me, blah, 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 blah. I feel like that could kind of make hmm. you look weak, I guess, if other people knew that you knew. I don't know. Um, but there's just too much that threw the story for me. So that was a little disappointing the first time I went in to watch it. Um, there wasn't a lot of mystery to me. Was I uncomfortable the whole entire time? Definitely. Yeah, um, I literally, in my first line in my review that has not posted just yet, says, um, Gone Girl is a movie that will make you feel uneasy um, as the film opens rather quietly. And soon, uh, within the first several minutes, I mean, even the opening music, like, he's standing there in his street looking out, like, taking the garbage out, and the music is, like, ominous and, like, just deep. And I'm just like, what's happening? Um... And they definitely made me feel like he had done it initially. Like, I was, even knowing the spoiler, I was still like, man, this guy seems guilty. Like, he seems so sketchy. Um, his sister was like, why Why are you upset? And he was just kind of shrugging it off. And even when he f- goes home and finds, like, the table flipped over, he doesn't seem that worried, like, ever to me. Oh, see, I felt like when he finds that table... Felt like, well, even when he walks up and the door is not quite closed, he seems kind of taken aback and, like, he knows things aren't right. Well, I, I think Affleck plays it very well because I, I think you're right. I think he does look taken aback, but he doesn't look worried. He looked kind of more, like, inquisitive, like, huh, why is the door open? 
hey, why is this table broken? Where's my wife? He never seems generally like, like if I came home to that, I would be freaking out. Now, granted, I'm a spaz. So my spazziness would play into that. But nonetheless, I would be much more frantic than you see him. And again, I think that's intentional. I'm not insulting Affleck. I think that's what they wanted. They wanted to keep it where you're not certain of anything until Fincher and um, I'm going to forget the writer's name. Hold on. I have it in front of me. Gillian Flynn. Gillian. Gillian Flynn. I'm always doing that with the G. Um, uh, Gillian Flynn and and David Fincher, I think, want you to be unsure of what happened until they're ready for you to know. Um, And I think it's executed perfectly. I think the tone... Uh, that they establish early on. The lighting in the film is is so great. Um, and let me say, before we get any further, I, I really love the film. I am not giving it the must-see. I am going with Not Quite Golden, um, mainly because I don't think it's for everybody. Um, I do I, I think there's some of the subject matter. And I got to say, um, and this is, we don't curse on the Top 5 podcast, and I'm not going to curse much on here, but there are some things in this movie where it's it's going to get a little sketchy um, so if you're young, under 18, maybe don't listen to this one. But what she does with the wine bottle, uh, I I felt so... I'm One, I'm actually not sure what she did with the wine bottle because there are two possibilities and neither of them are pleasant. My first thought was the, the you know most likely one because she was faking a rape. But then she tells the, the the FBI agents and the doctor that she was sodomized. So that really made me worry. Oh, I did not. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I've never felt, I don't think that, like, oh, my God, what is wrong with this woman in a movie ever? Like, um, what Imagine was your discomfort in a theater seeing oh, this with, with people that you know, and you're just like, uh... Well, now, um, I'm watching this movie, and I'm looking at Rosamund Pike, who I don't know by name, and I'm staring at her, and I'm like, she looks so familiar, but I can't place her from anything. And then I realized, uh, I didn't. I wish I could say I realized, I looked at her IMDb, and as soon as I saw the movie, it clicked who she was and why she looked familiar, because she's a British, act- British actress, and she's the lead female, the, the, really the only female, main female, in The World's End. Um, she is Steven's... Uh, yeah. Uh, she's Mar- Martin Freeman's character, I think, uh, O-Man's sister, and then the love attraction of Simon Pegg and Steven, whose name I don't know as an actor. Um, and I'm, I was like, oh my god, what a different character, because she is so nuts in Gone Girl. This might be the craziest woman I've ever seen in a movie, ever. Keeping in mind, I've not watched Fatal Attraction, because I was a kid when that came out, and I just have never gone back to it. And I, I've never seen The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. I, um, I have seen those. I've seen single white female. I've seen, I've seen that. so many, but for some reason, not even just for some reason, because I know the things that those other women do are nuts. But for some reason, I still feel like she takes the cake. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 run down um, Amy's character for a minute. One, um, when uh, we meet her, she, it's not too long. When when Affleck meets her, or when Nick Dunn meets her, um, it's not too long before we find out that uh, she's very kind of bitter and angry towards her parents for writing a book where the character is always better than she actually is. So talk about making you feel um, not good enough. Every time you do something, like she tries out for the soccer team but doesn't get it, well, then her book character gets it. Like every time she fails, her parents rub it in her face by making the character in the book succeed. 
Or so, even, oh, you can't have a dog, but we're going to write that you have a dog in the book. And uh, when we learn a lot of this, it's at um, a new issue of the book, which I'm guessing the, the Amy character in the book grows up, which is unusual for a book character, because they, they were celebrating Amazing Amy's wedding, um, and the real-life Amy, not married yet, so... Um, which is one of the the best romantic scenes in the movie is when Affleck proposes. Like I love the proposal um, in that sequence when he sits down with the reporters who are kind of giving her crap, and uh, he starts asking the funny questions, being very charming Affleck style. And um, when he opens up the, the book and there's the wedding ring, I thought it was great. I really I was like, oh man, they they were seemed like a good couple. Their dialogue though, the whole movie from the time that they meet, like except. Like, towards the end, it's so antiseptic, and nothing about it is... Mm. There's, like, nothing natural no. about it No, they're both me. playing characters. And I understand that, but still, I'm like, if you both know... You know what I mean? Why? It's, then it's... Well, ugh. that's a good question. You have to go back and think of why. And the director, Fincher, is, is giving a very cynical point of view on marriage and relationships. Um, so all of that is is reflected in the whole movie. Um, he doesn't. I, I I don't know his personal opinion, but based on this film, and based on Fight Club, which is very much a male centric, um, Tyler Durden and his group are preaching that men are becoming women, and it's partly in fact because we don't we didn't have a war at the time, nineteen ninety nine. We were not in the middle of a war. The um, and they say in the movie that um, we have no war to define us. And it's very much pushing a masculine agenda that, um, look, you have Bob. Bob has bitch tits, as they call them in the movie. Um, so he's becoming more like a woman. He's there. And you have all of these things that I'd never noticed before. These are not my actual thoughts. I don't remember the guy who on YouTube who was talking about this. But I watched a lot of Fincher stuff preparing for this podcast, trying to like get more in mind. I've seen several of Fincher's films, but I've never analyzed any of them. Um, Fight Club, I've seen, as I noted, hundreds of times. Um, Fincher's also known for Zodiac, which I saw in the theater, but I've only seen it the one time. Seven, I only saw the one time. Um, Superman, no, that's Bryan Singer. Um, man, there's another Kevin Spacey movie I can't think off the top of my head, but uh, Fincher's done lots of stuff, and um, a lot of his movies have a little bit of a cynical kind of tone and definitely uh, dark. And here, I think he's saying very much that marriage is an act that we force each other to become these people that we're not before we were uh, when we were alone um you hear that throughout the film you see that throughout the film as you noted their dialogue never feels like people talking it feels like people reading a script but not i don't feel like that's the actor's fault i totally think that's the intent um they were pretending he was you know he was even how he picks her up at the bar like at the the party she's holding two beers and he walks up it's like I see you have my beer or something like that. And it's it's very cornball, cheesy lines, but they work. You know, those lines don't work in real life, I don't think. Uh, I Yeah, right. I, I wouldn't know. But um, I – and I'm not saying that, like, they were portraying their, like, movie characters poorly. Mm. I just – I I don't know. It was just off were you gonna, to me. You, you didn't like them? Um, sorry. Were you like? Was it like I, they were off-putting? Meaning, like that you didn't like the characters? Uh, well, not. I guess I. I still just don't understand why they're trying to be certain people because 
every relationship you have, like that relationship didn't have to lead to marriage, but every piece of dialogue, mm. every interaction between them was so. Well, I don't. I think that's established through the film too. That um, he says that he saw her, wanted her, and was going to do anything he could to have her. Um, and I definitely think her money was a part of that. Um, he was a writer for a men's magazine. Um, and you know, she's got tons of money because of the amazing Amy book. And then, um, she, we learn through her past relationships, she likes to control people. She's a nutcase. uh And when they are unwilling to control, let her control them, she takes them down. Um, and he, um, I think maybe won her more than the other guys. Like, I think... You know, the one guy uh, that he meets at the bar and he's uh, she accused him of rape and he got he took the sex offender charge instead. Um, who I, th- I can't remember. the I think that's Scott McNary may have played him. Scoot. Yeah. Scoot. Um, Scoot. Um, sorry, I'm forgetting his name right now. I don't remember the name in the movie at all, but um, Tommy O'Hara. There it is. Um, and uh, Tommy tells him the story. And it's very believable at that point because we know Amy's perpetrated this, you know, um, ruse to make it look like Nick has killed her and she's planning on killing herself too mind you so like she's not just getting even she wants to make sure he gets arrested then she's going to kill himself to make sure he gets the death penalty because when they find her body it'll be proof that he killed her and like that's beyond Twister right? like this isn't just like revenge and then I get to move on and live my life this is like I am willing to die to get my revenge I am willing to kill myself so that you will pay for cheating on me because that's ultimately the catalyst but, of course, um, I don't think, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but uh, how many times have you seen Gone Girl? This was my second time second watching time? it. Okay. Um, when they first kiss, he takes her to a sugar truck being loaded, and there's a sugar storm. Um, looks like snow almost. Well, okay, I'm a Floridian. Looks like snow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's negative four, John. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> It was four. I think it was forty-eight this morning, and then by the afternoon it was eighty. And, Holy! Yeah, and now it's fifty-two again. So, um, you know, oh up and down roller coaster temperature, and it's it's drizzling outside. Hello, um, pneumonia. Yeah, <laughs> and um, but he uh he wipes her lips off with two fingers. He has which becomes a signal for their care, their love throughout the film. He he'll do the little two finger thing whenever he wants to like say I love you to her. Um, but he takes two fingers, wipes her lips off because he says he wants to taste her, not the sugar. That is very distinctively all over her. Um, when she catches him cheating, when we see it in her flashback, he wipes the girl's lips with two fingers. And I think yeah. that's what set her off more than anything. I think. Yeah. Even just the fact that she just caught him cheating. I. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's because that's that's my thing. You don't do the two-finger thing with another person which yeah, i gotta Spider-Man. say man <laughs> yeah i got well i gotta say it is pretty messed up though like because there there was no sugar on that girl like there's no reason to wipe her lips off um it was it, but again i think it was proving the point that he's a con artist he was doing the same he was probably said the same line to that girl i want to taste you and like maybe he wiped her lip gloss off or something like you know what i mean like i think that's his his thing like it's one of his go-to Ugh. lines that we learn from the character and that's um, the the movie has a noir feel only in that none of the characters are good people. It's a very cynical look at humanity. It's a cynical look at relationships, um, for sure, and definitely marriage, because how it ends. 
you know? Uh, we know. Um, I want to take a moment, though, and talk about Desi. Which is Neil Patrick Harris? Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I... Okay, first of all, I thought he played that part very well. Oh, but yeah. between him and also the Tommy O'Hara, how many times can one woman make these claims you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and it's like there are no consequences for her no none um and i when she comes back uh, okay so let's let's go through desi so desi is um an old fling that i think she i think they said high school right or was it yeah they went to boarding school together and he's rich super rich like i don't even know how rich but he's super rich because we saw one house which was a giant mansion and then he has a beach house that's a giant mansion and he's talking about going off to greece like the dude's mega rich like i don't know how rich but mega rich and also <laughs> conniving and and definitely crazy um we know he stalked her she kept him on the hook but nonetheless he was like crazy about her um and then um he also i don't know like I got a real creep vibe because she ends up relying on him for help because she gets robbed and she has no cash now. And that was her. She couldn't use credit cards because she's on the run. She's supposed to be dead. Um, and he, she calls him knowing that he'll help her. She tells him some lies to make him to make him work. And you get like, right away. He starts demanding that she be the woman she was before, like dye yeah, your hair. To start exercising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Very another cynical point of view he's also an awful person um he's he thinks she, uh, she owes him because he's rescuing her um that uh she claims that nick was abusive and that's why she faked her death or whatever and um i for a minute thought the story the twist would be that she would get her just desserts and he would kill her because he was creepy like he was super creepy he like brings her to the secluded beach house points out that there's security cameras everywhere everywhere yeah and that's i'm like wait is he watching her like from things but apparently not because he had no idea what was coming um but it's no amy's worse amy's worse than he is even though he's pretty bad um amy starts setting up very strategically um that she's been abducted by him uh raped by him multiple nights um and she starts setting it up in some pretty disturbing ways. She rubs ketchup all over her underwear and jumps up against the uh, the window where she knows the camera is looking to look like she's trying to escape, but she can't. Then the next day, um, she encourages him to have sex. And what does she do? Uh. <laughs> she reaches for a box cutter and slits his throat, which was super graphic and uh oh awful like so crazy um, there we we know we know because it's like shoved down our throats the whole movie how messed up this woman is but that she gets in her car or his car she steals his car mm-hmm. covered in his blood mm-hmm. and drives all the way home and where is he from because it's they're, a ways away. They're a ways away, for, especially from the beach house, because I don't know where the beach house was. But when um, Nick went to talk to him earlier in the movie uh, at his regular home, he had a long drive. And so you assume the beach house is in another city. So, you know, and I doubt it's in the middle of Missouri. So it's got to be somewhere else. Yeah, it, it was a drive. And then she hugs Nick. She hugged Nick covered in the dude's blood. I was so grossed out by that. And she was just like, no big deal. No big deal. Which, like 
just a, I earlier mentioned the wine bottle thing, and that was in preparation for accusing him of rape um, and the abduction so she could come back into Nick's life, which all was prompted because Nick apologized on TV purposely to get her to come back, hoping to, to get her arrested for faking her murder. I appreciated Tyler Perry in this film. Tyler Perry was fantastic, and I did leave his I, name off at the opening. Tyler Perry plays a... I, I hate comparing him to Johnny Cochran, but as far as the conniving, um, slick-talking attorney, that's what he is. He nails it. I don't, I don't necessarily feel that way about him. I, I don't know. I feel like those things sound so negative, but I think that he's just so well-versed in that particular, like world well, that I mean, part of law I'll, I'll, I, I will give you that the the only people who really give us information about him before we meet him is the nancy grace type character um ugh. in the movie which i forget the actress's name right now but she was recently on douglas movies and um she's also in uh, charlie and chocolate factory she plays um violet's mother and, oh yeah um and she's in uh galaxy quest she's one of the aliens um so, is it Sharon Sheber? No, that's the other. That's the woman who interviews Nick. Um, oh yeah, the first time. Um, I I I really like her name's on the tip of my tongue. And it's just not popping in my head. Um, I'll pull up IMDb while I'm talking. But um, she accuses him of being um, you know he he always defends the the crazy guys, the guys who have murdered their wives, that type of thing, and that paints the picture that he's in it for the money. You know, he's taking the hard case that nobody else wants and he is also good at it. So he's going to make you know, a top dollar. I mean, we hear he, he has a hundred thousand dollar retainer. I'm not that great. I just know that's extra money from his fees. Like that's guaranteed that, um, he has access to that money. I don't even know how that works. I just know that the one, the reaction in the film, but also, uh, everybody's reaction when they say how much it is. Like, it's not, a normal amount of money for the lawyer because he knows no one else is going to be able to do the job. So I think he's good, yeah. but I also think it's sleazy because he could be good at putting people in jail and he seems to be good at keeping the criminals out of jail. But here we are in a case where this man is, he for the things that he is being potentially charged with, he is innocent. So True, we know that. The yeah, lawyer is but... operating solely on his word. And he... We'll also say that Nick Dunn does not do anything that his lawyer tells him to. Nope. Not until, Nothing. like, oh, uh, Missy Pyle is her name. Um, Missy Pyle. Oh, but, Ellen Abbott. Yeah. That's right. That's the, uh, the, the clear Nancy Grace knockoff. Um, I would say the other one, the Sylvia, um, character is more like, um, not quite Barbara Walters, but I think her show felt more like Barbara Walters. Than the Nancy Grace just being really loud and accusing everybody of being evil, um, yeah. But yeah, the film is super negative. Uh, but man, what a ride! Like the mystery, the way everything unfolds is so compelling. And um, I love the the double perspective that we get uh, Nick as he's going through it, but then we get the flashback sequences through Amy's diary that you mentioned. Um, in a way that it's hard to tell if we're if we're getting like as she was actually writing it or if we're just getting her kind of bragging about what she's done, like how smart she is. Um, because that's the story feels very smart. Like ever the way she manipulates everybody and sets everything up. Um, she seems very, very intelligent. 
Oh, without a doubt. Which and the also. Oh my gosh, I feel like I always forget my words. But all the preparation in that she's already she already has it running in her mind, like the stuff we talked about with Desi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, she as puts soon that together. Left, boom. Yes, yeah, so quick. Knowing, okay, I'm gonna frame. I'm gonna make him my patsy, so to speak. I'll make everything look like he did it. That way, I can get Nick off, and I can be back with Nick. Even though Nick does not want her. In fact, Nick only said the things he said to get her back, so that she could go get arrested and. We see Detective um, Rhonda Boney, played by Kim Dickens, um, clearly finally see that Nick's innocent and that this girl Amy's crazy. And the part where Amy's telling about um, Desi to the FBI and Rhonda starts questioning her, I was so excited. I was like, Rhonda's going to get her. Get her, Rhonda. But no. Rhonda can't. It's taken out of her jurisdiction. The FBI takes over. The FBI seem like they look at Amy, this pretty you know, rich white girl who has uh, a legacy of these children's books that probably most of them grew up reading or their children read. And they see her as the poor victim, even though we know that lady's nuts. She's mega crazy. Um, Did you notice at the beginning of the movie, um, Nick goes to the bar and we meet Margo for the first time. Margo's played by uh, Carrie Coon, who I loved Margo, by the way. I I thought Margo was my favorite. Such a great character. Almost not quite, but almost like a grown-up Daria vibe from her, um, with the glasses and the hair, and like there was, she seemed like another actress, and I couldn't quite place it. Maybe a little bit of Joan Cusack in her performance to me. Um, okay, uh, there was just something familiar about her, her demeanor and her attitude. But when he he comes into the bar, which is it's the bar they own is called the Bar, um, quite possibly one of the best names of a bar ever. But um, he has a board game with him do you did you notice what board game he was bringing into her now that you now that you're talking about it no okay so they don't play it they end up playing a different board game that they have because we see a stack of board games behind the bar um but the board game he brings her that morning that later amy will go missing is called mastermind ah now Right away, I'm like, okay, well, I know that there's a big plot here, so that makes sense that uh, Amy is the mastermind. But more, Margo looks at it and says, I hate that game. Margo hates Amy. So I thought right away, really interesting foreshadowing about how the movie would play out. But then, instead of playing mastermind, they play the game of life. Um, Which is, again, that's the movie, right? They're playing the game of life. They're playing marriage. Um, how do we make things work? How do we make everything work? What is, you know, everything slowly comes unglued. Um, things go crazy and the movie ends with an unsatisfactory, um, Amy's left to be who she was beforehand. Uh, she's apparently pregnant. I'm not sure if it's Desi's baby or not, by the way. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I thought that, oh my God, I'm so confused then. Nick, she when uh, she tells Nick, Nick says, there's no way I washed the drain, implying that he had masturbated, but made sure to clean up after himself. Um, but there's we also know that he had a fertility test done, and so maybe she was able to get the sperm from the fertility clinic. Um, he did say, though, that he got a letter saying they were going to dispose of it, and that was his way of proving to Margo that his side of the story was at least true about her, the pregnancy. Um, but nonetheless, um, I'm not entirely sure, but he stays with her. They stay together. 
she's not punished. He's still, you know, he's still basically the same guy he was before, meaning he's going to pretend to be who he was for her to keep her happy. Um, and she's clearly crazy enough to kill. However, I think she's also smart enough that she knows she can't kill Nick without it ruining her legacy. Because keep in mind, if she just wanted him to be dead, if she, she could have killed him. But she wanted him to get punished to not only kill him, but to destroy his name and keep her name as like an icon. So she was very strategic about her choices. She was not willing to like give up her life uh, to get the revenge she sought. She was going to make him pay and keep her legacy intact. And she's probably the worst person in the whole history of the world to be a mother. Oh man, poor kid. That's Gone Girl too. Um, oh gosh. The kids. The kid forgets to water the plant, and she has to go you know, on a treasure hunt. Um, oh no. I mean that you know, but there's there's definitely a lot in this film. Um, I I did a lot of reading afterwards because I was trying to really, um, I wanted to know what I was dealing with. Um, I am a novice uh, at film analysis. Um, I've been studying film uh, excessively, studying it for at least a year. Um, I would say I was started studying film maybe two or three years before that, um, more casually. Um, I I am actively reading film textbooks and trying to um, become more of an expert on movies so that I can talk intelligently about them. Um, however, I I'm not uh, if you're any type of researcher or uh, student you know that if there's stuff out there for you to reference and use, you should use. And I, I should be citing my sources better. Um, I didn't think to copy the link down from the YouTube uh, video that I watched on David Fincher's um, style. Uh, and I mentioned the Fight Club um, analysis of the masculinity um, theme that played in that film. But um, they're out there. You can find them if you look them up. Uh, I think it was I looked up David Fincher themes and that popped up on YouTube. Um, so credit to that guy um, for that thought. But um, let's give final verdicts, Corey. Uh, where would you scale um, Gone Girl? Hmm. From Burke Review? Yeah, yeah. Our, our, our scale is uh, our movies we hate um, get the avoid like the plague rating. Movies that we uh, generally dislike, but there was at least some redeeming quality that makes it not hateable. Um, is uh, not a total waste of time. Movies that we find solid but not exceptional or decent watches like Corey did for La La Land. Um, most movies are going to get the not quite golden if they're great but not essential viewing. And then must-see are movies that we just absolutely love. Think everyone who is uh, interested in the the sub source material, maybe the genre, um, should watch the movie. Uh, and I do think genre is important. Like, if you hate Christmas movies, ignore the Christmas reviews that I did because many of them got must-see because they're movies I watch every single Christmas. Um, so I do think they're must-see, but they're must-see Christmas movies. So if you hate Christmas movies, you're not going like to like those. Like Scrooge Corey. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I'm going to say I'm going to give a few points first. So the first time that I saw this movie, and we kind of talked about this earlier, when I watch movies at home, I always have subtitles on mm -hmm. because... Sometimes I miss dialogue without them. And when I watched this in the theater, I definitely missed some of the dialogue. So when I was able to rewatch it at home, that definitely um, increased my viewing experience, I would say. So my first viewing of this, I would probably say avoid like the plague. But I'm actually... Mm, ooh. Um, uh, 
Uh, I'm kind of torn between a decent watch and not quite Golden Pony Boy, actually. Okay. Wait, did, so you, did you say initially you thought Avoid Like the Plague for this movie? I hated this movie when I first really? watched it. Really? I did not realize that. Yeah. So you made me watch it, something you hated? <laughs> but I didn't think you were going to hate it. Oh, ah, okay. I did not think you were going to hate it. Um, And I hated it based off of the fact that I already knew what was going to happen. Mm. And it's like the whole you... – I thought that so much of the film was supposed to be that you don't know what's happening and that you have no idea what this – you know, what – I don't know how to explain it. That you don't really know – what's happening and but i did i went in and i knew before i even sat down in the theater and i still thought this would be a really good conversation with you because Mm -hmm. i am not as well versed (laughs) in film as you and i'm feeling like i'm needing to up my game as far as reading and researching more because definitely feel like i can't keep up with you guys in that aspect but um i do i do teach film so i do have a, a bit of an obsessive quality um at being able to uh discuss it and i've had a few students who have challenged me excessively um who are um one in particular uh who you did meet at mrs peregrine's actually he sat in front of us um oh he is uh unbelievably knowledgeable about film so i i don't like to be shown up by students so he he pushed me to be um you know to up my game too so that i could uh not let him outshine me every day he still the dude's i'm pretty sure has an eidetic memory because he can quote like full imdb pages that i'm just like uh i remember the first thing you said but um he... so i want to say that i did not mean to make you watch a movie that i hated no. i wanted to hear your viewpoint on it well it... and i didn't notice either until you started talking about how negative this is and how all the people in the movie are not good people mm-hmm. except marco's not a bad person nope but, <laughs> but but she's uh her undying loyalty puts her in some very vicarious situations um, Fair enough. Which, you know, a wise person would maybe separate from that. Um, you know, there are people who believe that family uh, is above all. Um, I, I am of the belief that family is, um, you know, is not an obligation to you. You didn't choose your family. Um, and if your family is going to put you in positions that you know, either make your life hell or um, will ruin your life, I think it's fair to walk away. Um, and there's... Same. Yeah, again, there are people who operate under, oh, blood's thicker than water. Like, yeah, but you get to choose the water. The blood's just kind of thrown on you. Um, You can't choose who your parents are. You can't choose who your siblings are. But you can sure choose to walk away and save yourself, If uh, especially if they're making dumb, 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 dumb choices, which Nick does multiple times in this movie. And in her house. In her house. In her woodshed. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, uh, all, apparently for months, right? And more so, she, he lets her stay the night. He lets this girl stay the night after he was already apprehensive. Like, she leaves in broad daylight. I can't believe reporters didn't see her leave the house. Like, I was so surprised. No. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cynical look at, at humanity. I don't agree with the message at all. Um, Yet, yeah, there is definitely some truth to, uh, you know, we do change for relationships. Now... I would like to think we only change for relationships we want, not for relationships we're unhappy with. But I don't know. You know, it's it's it is a cynical look at the world. I tend to lean towards cynical uh, points of view, which is actually one of the reasons why I love La La Land. It, La La Land made me feel happy and hopeful. Um, and I heard a few critics who were pointing out that they wish La La Land ended on more of a sour note that she didn't get 
I don't want to spoil La La Land, so I'm not going to say exactly what, but they wish it had ended more on a downbeat than it does. Um, there is a sad part of the ending, but overall, the characters um, meet their goals. And uh, I like that. I needed that. Um, you know, 2016 was a, a, a not-so-great year for most things, although, personally, my year was pretty great. I, I did the movie challenge. I finished my master's degree. Um, I don't have too much to complain about from 2016 other than a lot of people that I loved and admired uh, in Hollywood particularly died. Um, my father-in-law died. And so, you know, I have those those things were bad of 2016. But um, I needed a happy end of the year, and La La Land did that for me. This movie, totally opposite. I felt awful when it ended, mm -hmm. but I felt enthralled, um, which is kind of the same feeling I had with Fight Club. Um, I didn't quite feel awful, but... Fight Club has a pretty sour look at humanity too, but it was a side of humanity that I kind of connected with because I'm lower middle class, and so is you know the narrator in Fight Club, and um, I connected with that. So when they did the bad things and they had the the awful stuff happen, it was more compelling to me. Where this movie, it's like these are rich white people who are gonna get to stay rich and white even though they did horrible things. Um, and I said they're no going to get to say rich and white and I'm white, but I'm just saying, <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting their color to change or anything, but I was, you know, I'd like to see them pay for their crimes and basically neither of them do. Like there's a little bit of discomfort, you know, Nick has, he's in jail for a night, but like, that's it. But like, let's be fair. He has to, he's like forever tied to this woman. He cannot stand. And now they're having offspring. Yeah. You're you're not wrong. It's not the happiest. It's a prison in and of itself. Um, but Nick is uh, while he's he's uh, wrong in a lot of aspects, I still manage to feel sympathy for him. It, basically, to be fair, they make you feel sympathy for him early when you think he's actually innocent, um, completely innocent. But as you find out that well, he's not he's not the reason Amy's missing or anything. Nor had he hit her at that point. We learn later that Amy lied about that, too. No surprise. Although he does later slam her head into a wall. But um, I felt... That was a little unexpected, It was. Um, I felt very empathetic towards him, though, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And they slowly started, well, but I did do this, and I did do this, and I did do this. And it was just like, oh, oh, I, you tricked me, jerk. Um, I felt like Thanks. Amy. You know, I've been conned, like... <laughs> But um, and what did you what did you give this? I movie? gave it the, the not quite golden. Um, I I am apparently a big fan of David Fincher. Um, I've oh the game was another David Fincher film uh, with Michael Douglas and Sean Penn. Um, oh, and he's also done um kind of interesting with uh, George Michael recently passing. He's he did two music videos for uh, George Michael. I think he did one music video and I think he did like a music DVD um or concert or something for uh, George Michael. And he also did one for Madonna, I believe. Um. He's he's got he's got quite uh, the the list, Fincher does. Um, and I think he had a he has a new movie coming out if I'm not mistaken. Um. Oh, he dropped something. I read that earlier. Was that no? No, hmm. it was Martin Scorsese. Sorry that I read. He dropped a oh biopic. Well, yeah. If it, he's rumored to be doing World War Z two, um. Fincher? Yeah, which would be interesting. What? But um, he's got two movies with not dates. 
I'm sorry, one movie called Strangers with No Date Set and a TV series called Mindhunter. Um, but he did a couple of episodes of House of Cards, which I'm a fan of. Um, oh, he did the Justin Timberlake music gotcha. video, Suit and Tie. Um, oh, there you go. Oh, God, the one that I knew, the movie that I forgot that I absolutely loved uh, from a few years ago was The Social Network. Yes. Um, which uh, has, again, similar lighting, similar tone um, style-wise. The one that I've not seen, and I don't know that I can bring myself to watch, is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, not appealing to me. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo I want to see. Um, he did Panic Room with Jodie Foster and very young Kristen Stewart. Um, Fight Club, I the game. I in theaters. Panic Room? Yeah. Um, I watched it on, I think, regular TV, like, years later. Um, I, I don't, va- I vaguely remember parts of it. I, I was not that interested in the premise, but, um, he did, uh... The game, as I said, seven, um, Alien Three, which I like. Alien Three, um, I have not seen the director's cut, and I hear the director's cut is uh, more his style um, because the 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 cut that made it to theaters, I think, um, was maybe neutered from the David Fincher style. And yeah, and everything else he did before that was music videos. Um, we have Madonna, Express Yourself, uh, Madonna, The Immaculate Collection. Um, Paula, Paula Abdul, cold-hearted. Um, yeah, so Fincher's got an eclectic background, and um, but I I do like his style. Um, you know, as I said, Fight Club is still currently listed in my top five movies of all time. Um, I've I feel like maybe I need to revisit it as I've been studying film for a couple years. Maybe it won't hold up under the scrutiny. And I have to say, if if what I that dude in the YouTube video said was was Fincher's intention. Um, I disagree with that theme completely. I I never took it that way, especially because the narrator picks Marla at the end. Like he needs Marla, and if if the whole point is that we need to be more masculine, I feel like that ending counters that because he picks to be with Marla um, overall uh, and gives up Tyler essentially to have Marla. Um, and spoilers for Fight Club, I guess, but you know whatever. Um, it, it's from nineteen ninety nine. People get over it, but um. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Seven definitely has is a dark tone, right? I mean, if you if you know what uh, what's inside the box, for example, it ends pretty sour. Um, and the bad guy technically wins at the end of that movie. Um, and uh, the game, I don't remember. I remember the game. I saw the game when I was younger. Are you familiar with the game? I'm not. Um, it is uh, Michael Douglas and Sean Penn. Um, he gets a, a birthday present. It's, it's kind of like Nerve. Um, that's what Nerve reminded me of this from 2016. Um, he is involuntarily put into a game of like murder, and he's. I think they frame him, so he has to go on the run, and it's it's pretty suspenseful and it's very interesting. And um, I won't spoil it since you haven't seen it, but uh, it's it's definitely got a kind of darker tone. Uh, these rich people playing with their lives, kind of thing. Like like these are well-to-do like businessmen who i guess they get bored so they play this dangerous game so to speak and um yeah so again another little bit of a cynical take it's definitely a a trend which i'm not opposed to i love noir films i I had not seen a noir film before last year um but i watched several touch of evil double indemnity um rope uh well i watched a lot of hitchcock and not all hitchcock films are noir but nonetheless there was a few in there um i have not watched maltese falcon yet but i plan to I, i do have that sitting on my shelf over here um, and Double Indemnity is, is, I, I, this is, if you're a film person, you know that it's one of the best films probably ever made. It's definitely the quintessential noir film, and I loved it. Um, and this film, while not a noir 
completely. It definitely has some of the vibes of it, especially the cynical look at humanity. Um, and I think that's a Fincher uh, style. I mean, even like Zodiac, negative look at humanity. Um, have you seen Zodiac? I was just thinking about that. I think I might own it, but I haven't seen it. it I, I do own it um, digitally. Um, and that's uh, Jake Dillenhall, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo. Um, I always forget the guy's name. I remember him most uh, distinctively as Drew Carey's brother on the Drew Carey Show. Um, cross-dressing brother on the Drew Carey Show. Oh. Um, John Leslie. He's in so much stuff. He's always kind of creepy, but there's also like this... Um, there's a quality about him that makes you kind of disarmed, but at the same time on edge because there's just this uh, thing about him. Um, he's on a bunch of stuff. Uh, I just never remember his name, but um, he's he is uh, in the Zodiac as well. Um, I saw that in the theater. I actually got really obsessed with the uh, the story, and I read the uh, the true crime novel that is the movie is based on it. Like the main character Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be the author of the novel that I read, and I read the novel before I went and saw the movie. Um, and I only saw it in the theater the one time, and I haven't watched it since, and I've been wanting to watch it. So if you've never seen it, that might be an episode in a few weeks um, because that's one I've been wanting to revisit, especially after watching Gone Girl. Um, I am definitely on a Fincher kick. Uh, I've been com- considering going through uh, re-watching all his films because I haven't seen Seven since I was a kid. We talked about that, I think, off mic earlier. Um, and uh, Fight Club, again, I-, I could watch Fight Club at any moment because I really did. That was the that movie and the Matrix were my first taste of twist in a film where like I went in to see Fight Club because I went to the movies every weekend and there was going to be fighting and that was enough for me to go see a movie because I was really into martial art movies at the time and mm-hmm. I walked out like my mind blown having no clue what what I was getting into when I walked into the theater and uh, the Matrix had a similar thing I, I I was expecting great martial arts in the Matrix which I got. But I got so much more. Um, the idea of us being inside a virtual world, like just, um, was my first taste of the uh, of what now I am very versed in the philosophy that has been discussed for thousands of years about the same ideas that are expressed in the Matrix, going back even to Plato. Um, but at the time, I wasn't. I was, you know, seventeen, uh, and those two movies definitely had a huge impact in my life, and that's why I think they'll always be on my top five, even if they're not necessarily going to hold up. Um, they did it for me and Fincher um I thought I think did a pretty great job with Gone Girl my wife also enjoyed the movie um in the same way like enjoy is a hard word to use I guess with this movie right because you don't enjoy most of it because you're you're pissed off you're upset there's no justice Um, yeah but man it just it's a it's a ride like it is from beginning to end I was captivated and it was intrigued it's very engrossing it's not necessarily enjoyable, but you also can't really stop watching it. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode, but before we do, I do want to bring up uh, Girl on the Train again, um, which is one that I missed, but Corey saw. And um, you liked uh, Girl on the Train, correct? Yes. More or less than Gone Girl? More. Do you? Is that maybe because, is it less cynical than this movie? Um, it's more that I didn't know what was going to happen. Okay there was still like i had no idea and when things were revealed i was just like what oh interesting now did it make sense how they were revealed though or was it just like an m night Shyamalan pull a rabbit out of a hat type Mm, of thing no no it made sense and i would say it's still it's still pretty cynical not as cynical as gone girl i don't think i've only seen it the one time 
I'm I'm but, intrigued to watch it now because um I I definitely was a fan of this movie with my first watch, and from what I've heard from critics is that the girl on the train wants to be on girl but fails. So I don't know, you know, because the I didn't feel like like I knew. I knew going into the movie that Amy was responsible for her missing, but did you know she was going to be able to frame Desi and kill Desi and fake the rape? Like, you didn't know that. No, because I didn't know Desi existed, ex- right? Existed, yeah. yeah, but I knew that she was setting up her husband Which for... I, I get the feeling that um, Fincher would be okay with you knowing that coming to the movie, um, because Probably. I think then it's not necessarily a why done it story it could be more of um like what's the motivation behind the action like why is she doing it versus who did it you know um because it, like i said within 40 minutes we know for a fact that she's behind it um, it's her di- her like point of view at that point yes we we fully are into her her side of the story we see her uh, cutting her hair and in fact we go backwards because we see her from the day she leaves um catching up to where we were in the story with nick um and that's definitely not the mystery of the film it's more like how is she able to pull this off will she be able to pull this off and the answer apparently is yes so um i think I, anything else you got to add about gone girl no um this episode we don't have any reviews from fans because this is our first episode no one uh knows about this podcast basically unless they listen to top five movies um we do hope our top five movie listeners are also listening to uh burke reviews movie club and we'd love to hear from you and suggest some movies to us that um you can see if we've seen it or not we will not watch a movie both of us have seen unless it is a movie that both of us have seen a long time ago like seven is on our list of uh, potential future films because both of us watched it when it basically first came out and we have not revisited it and i was i'm not a hundred percent sure how old i was when i saw it but i know it was on vhs in my house when i was still living at my grandma's house which means i was under 18 and i don't think i was equipped to watch seven um and I'm very intrigued to go back to it. So I would love to get to, especially now having watched Gone Girl and being in a, fin- a Fincher kind of mood. Um, but uh, our next episode, um, I'm picking the movie. Our next episode uh, will be John Wick, um, a movie Corey has never seen. Nope. Um, are you excited about watching John Wick? I'm hoping that it's really good. You know how I feel about Keanu. Well, now... Keanu is a uh, when cast correctly is phenomenal. That's true. Which That's true. Matrix is a great example. Um, when cast incorrectly, like uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, you guys are gonna just pick on me about that movie until the end of time. Well, and he was the weak link. Okay, an inferno of a movie, and um, <sighs> that was bad casting. I don't know what Francis Ford Coppola and or Nick Cage's uncle, uh, Francis Ford Coppola was thinking when he did that but um john wick is perfect casting for keanu one i don't know if you know this but keanu reeves is actually really really dangerous like hand-to-hand combat shooting the dudes like a pro um the stuff you will see in john wick he can actually do um what yeah he, he there's videos of him training for john wick on youtube he is nuts um, he not, doesn't have a stunt man. No, no, he oh. he's awesome. Um, okay. He now not only I say all those things, he could kill any one of us if he wanted to, but he's supposed to be one of the nicest actors in Hollywood. Um, yeah. Which was why he gets a pass whenever he is a bad actor in a movie because the dude's supposed to be great. Um, 
and uh, John Wick Two is coming out in a month. And oh, I'm super stoked about John Wick Two. We will most likely do the episode that week for it, unless Corey hates John Wick. Um, I, and I I did warn you because she was excited about the dog in the poster for John Wick Two. Um, uh, uh, yep. <laughs> Th- oh no! There is a, a very sad dog moment in John Wick, um, which is one of the reasons I did not take my daughter to see John Wick. That and it's uber violent, but um, it is an action movie. The story's solid, and actually the backstory. Um, there's it's such a rich world they create in the film that you want to know so much more, and that's why I can't wait for John Wick too because I want more of this world because he is an assassin who is retired, who is forced out of retirement um in a very interesting and kind of believable but silly way but when he goes back into this world that he's from you're, you're introduced to this underground kind of like hitman society and it's so interesting and compelling and it's very subtly done but yet you get all these allusions to things where you're like i want to know what that is what's that and you don't get those answers but you don't need them for the story to work yet you want to know more. It's kind of like, I felt that way with Mad Max Fury Road because you hear about all these other cities and I'm just like, I want to go to Gas City. I want to go to that Bullet City. Like, let's go to these places and you don't get to, but I want to. And that's um, what, I feel like John Wick does a good job of really introducing this world and making you want to be there. Um, And if you don't know, John Wick 2 also has something else that's really cool for Matrix fans. It's the return of Neo and Lawrence uh, and Morpheus as Lawrence Fishburne will be in John Wick 2. Um, yeah, so uh, the the Matrix nerds got a little excited when that happened. A little milk came out. Um, so we are uh, going to watch John Wick next week, and we will be on our podcast to talk about it. We would love to hear your opinions of John Wick. You can either watch it again with us this week on your own time, of course, and then uh, email us or tweet at us or uh, come to our website, BurkeReviews.com, and fill out the contact form and tell us your thoughts of um, John Wick, and we might read them on the air. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Burke Reviews, and Corey is at Corey R Star. Two R's on the end. And we do post reviews on um, BurkeReviews.com for films periodically. Um, I recently just posted a review for Hidden Figures, um, uh, Finding uh, something Forrest Florence Foster Jenkins. That's it. I could not remember the name of that movie. Um, and uh, Corey will be writing a review on Underworld. Um, blood wars is that what it's called i think so yeah it looks awful and um Stop! and hopefully her <laughs> it's ending her opinion of la la land um maybe will show up on the site soon as well and we have of course our buddy michael sanchez who does the top five movies podcast with us as well uh we'd love for you to check that one out that podcast we um pick a topic and all three of us make our top five list for said topic and reveal them to each other on the podcast and there's sometimes a lot of hostility um you know, sometimes we don't strike. agree. Um, and yes, Mike assigns many, many strikes to us. Um, but this is our first episode. Uh, it went a little longer than I expected, but hey, I guess we had a lot to say about this movie. Um, so with that, uh, we will see you next week with John Wick. Bye. Peace. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs> <laughs>